From the Clark Ford Studio in Oxford, Mississippi, MVW Digital proudly presents the Oxford Exxon Podcast. I'd say thanks for tuning in, but why am I going to give you a round of applause for something you're supposed to do, to be frank? And now, here are your hosts, Chase Parm. And broadcast school has really paid off. And Neil McCready. I deserve to be on TV. Welcome to this Monday edition of the Oxford Exxon Podcast. Chase Parm and Zachary Berry here with me today. We are uh, doing it remotely. Zach's not in town, but we're uh, knocking out one. Neil is at the beach for the week. He is taking a much-deserved uh, week off. So you get uh, you get us two idiots today. You get us Wednesday. Um, we got some other shows coming to you on the network as well this week. Sorry, I'm fixing a, bit, a little bit of a... Uh, a little bit of mic issue. There we go. I'm working up a little bit. So we're gonna we're talking about some different topics today. We got some football stuff. We got just some some life stuff and more. As we're still waiting on uh, the hopeful return of sports, I think that the next two weeks incredibly critical. At some point, the SEC and the nation will decide whether or not they're playing football. So we'll discuss some of those things coming up today on the show. Brought to you every single day by the Oxford Exxon Highway Six West in Oxford. Use the Speed Pass Plus app. Take advantage of that because that is a safe way to. Uh, Purchase your fuel. You just use the app, pay right there on the phone, go on with your day when you leave all Blue Sky locations in Mississippi, including the Oxford Exxon. We're coming to you from the Clark Ford Studio, 662-257-1900. Corey wants to be your truck guy, wants to be your car guy. Get you a quote within 15 minutes during business hours. Also, good discounts when you mission the podcast when you purchase your vehicle there with Clark Ford. And I guess, in a way, Zach is talking to us on the Raptors Music and Food Hotline. Rafters on the Water is open, located at the Sardis Marina. Come experience outdoor dining. Unlike any place in North Mississippi, they all have shrimp and Mississippi catfish platters, along with gourmet burgers, Louisiana-style po'boys, served on Leidenheimer French bread, Wednesday to Thursday, 3.30 to 10, Friday to Sunday, 11 to 10, newly expanded picnic area, great appetizers, including Zydeco shrimp, crawfish egg rolls, and more. You can do to-go or curbside pickup. 662-712-6162. Zach, good morning. We were just talking about it for the show that uh, I, I I get my kid to bed pretty early, usually around 7.30 or so. You're saying you're 7 right now. It, is uh-huh. it like this relief thing, like 7 o'clock hits, the kid's in bed? I mean, are you just exhausted? Is there like kind of, hey, the night's ahead of me? What's, what's kind of our mindset when we get done with parenting for the day? 7 o'clock on the dot is pretty much where we're at. So depending on his headspace, when we <laughs> enter his room, we're doing, you know, some, we'll do some, we'll do the bedtime routine. We'll read a book. We'll hang out for a couple minutes. He's gotten to where the personality's coming through a little bit more now to where if he doesn't want to read a book, you can tell and he'll just kind of not be about it. And so we'll just put him in the bed and, you know, get the sound machine going. And, uh, that's that. So I was going to say earlier, the ultimate dad achievement unlock, like the ultimate medal that you get is when you somehow hit that perfect sweet spot where you have dinner done and cleaned up and he's in bed. Like if you get all that done before you put him to bed, then it's just, you know, from seven to 11 or so you got four hours that feel like 14 hours. Um, but even then, like if it, you know, we, we, we kind of differ what time we're, we're eating dinner, depending on if I'm doing something on the grill or if we're doing something inside. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's pretty, it's pretty great to have a kid that's willing to go down at seven and then he doesn't wake up until seven the next morning. 
yeah, typically all the cleaning's done because I I don't have a lot of quirks per se, but a clean kitchen's kind of one of them. Like I'm big on like dishes, and basically as soon as like dinner's early, like I, I need to load the dishwasher and you get all this stuff done. It's just it, it's one of my little bit of OCD uh, things a little bit. And I was really lucky last night because we were going to do steaks, and uh, I was like, okay, I'll put them on the grill. We don't have a lot going on. It's fine. The time that I would have put them on the grill. One of those crazy Mississippi afternoon thunderstorms came through and was just a monsoon for like 30 minutes. We had made the decision right before that to do cast mm. iron instead. And it was it, it was the decision of the night because I think everything would have been ruined. I would have been soaked. It would have been a mess versus uh, the whole thing was quicker in the cast iron. You get done a little faster and you're you're, you're, right. you're on with the day. So I was it, – it was a lucky move, but I, I really got away with one last night, I think. So we were, uh, so we were making our way through it. Are you a clean-as-you-cook type of guy uh not typically usually it's a hell of a mess but then i'll clean up all the mess afterward yeah no i'm, I'm not yeah. good at cleaning as i cook or like cleaning as somebody else is cooking or anything else but it, it, it's right i i, I need everything kind of washed and put away before bed for sure like i'm not one of those can just leave it in the sink to the next morning it it, it, it bothers me like it, it yeah. might be, it, it might be bad enough that i wouldn't sleep <laughs> i know that sounds crazy <laughs> but Right. Outside of doing something heavy in the crock pot to where I'll kind of let it sit and soak just for a tad overnight. And then in the morning when I get up, I'll clean it out and dry it. But yeah, I'm I'm a stickler for having every every dish done put up. And uh, yeah, once I once I get in my chair and lean back and it reclines, That's it. then I grab the remote like it's over. So. So are you cleaning um, as you cook? Are you like wiping and putting things away uh, and like doing dishes and stuff? I I usually do. I'm I'm super OCD about being clean, and uh-huh. we got this new gas range, and so man, if anything gets in, you know, gets under the the range top, like I I have to immediately clean it. it I hate it. When you get done, you can just, just take the, the 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 thing off and wipe it all down. It's fine. Yeah, I know, but then it also congeals and it gets hard, and so I'd much rather just clean it then. So, uh, trust me. Anna tells me all the time she just rolls her eyes when I do it. So, especially when she cleans, I try not to hover and, and uh, or when she cooks, I should say, I try not to hover and clean behind her. Oh, um, that would drive me insane. <laughs> yeah, like get out of the way. What are you doing? Yeah, I'm a little weird, but um, yeah, we did some we did some beef tips last night. Um, I will say shout out to uh, Trader Joe's. They have this rosemary uh, marinated. Um, I can't remember what was with it. it was rosemary beef tips. Did that on the grill, and then did some shishitos. Never done that at home. Um, and if you like shishito peppers, uh, it's not a daunting task at all. I would highly recommend doing it at home. I mean, you're just throwing them on the grill and just rotating them, and uh, they were phenomenal. How long were they on the grill? Uh, each side was probably probably five minutes or so. Um, and now the you know keeping them in the middle. Because I was finishing up the beef, and then I moved them over to the side, and then I had some uh, asparagus in the uh, aluminum foil, so I was trying to get that plenty of heat. Um, but yeah, I would say you get a good, you get the charcoal going pretty, pretty hot. It's not going to take long because the shishitos, you know, they're not very thick. So, um, but it's it's pretty hard to to burn them. Like you don't have to really worry about leaving them on too long. But um, yeah, did the asparagus last night in honor of. Uh, the Vols being back and it feeling like 98 with how they're recruiting. Oh, God. <laughs> so. I, 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 I give all the credit. I mean, it is what it is. I just... uh, hey, hey, good for him. I mean, 
hanging a hanging a recruiting banner in July is always, you know, the key to success, right? So where do you fall? Is it going to work? Jeremy Pruitt? Yeah. No. I don't think so. They, I mean, well, okay, okay, no, 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 no. what is okay. not working? Like, what, what, what is our baseline here? What, what, what is considered working or not working with those idiots up there? Well, see, that's a whole different dynamic that you're throwing. Because in see, there. I'm saying working from my baseline, which is I don't know, you're a eight nine win team, you're a cute program. I think that's very doable. It's fine, sure. But is that going to get him fired in six years because of those idiots? See, that's the, see, this is the thing with like Tennessee, where they're like the Nebraska of the South, 100%. where they yes. they're this they're this program that was a national name. I mean, Tennessee was was honestly one of the first programs that did the whole national recruiting thing. They started recruiting nationally under Fulmer, started going to California, you know, hitting up Florida, North Carolina, like they they went everywhere, and it's almost like a, just a detriment now to whoever coaches there. Because if you are not winning ten plus and getting to Atlanta every year and be you know in the playoff or in a access bowl, they're going to be pissed. And now you've got Fulmer as the AD, which just complicates things even more. To where it's like, is he going to do you know this Barry Alvarez thing and just pull the rug out from under you and toss you out the door and take over? So I don't know. I think Pruitt was a guy who was a really good defensive coordinator, obviously. And now he parlayed it into being a head coach. And I just think that he wasn't ready. Um, I think that was evident in his first year. They go five and seven. Last year, they go eight and five. But if we're being honest, I mean, they lose to BYU, um, lose to Georgia State. They should have lost the bowl game. Um, I mean, Indiana just completely shit the bed and gave that one away. But I mean, they're not competitive against Georgia. They're not competitive. I don't think they've beaten Alabama since, what, 06, something like that. Um, yeah, Neil had the stat of the day. It's like thousands of days. <laughs> I mean, they're, you know, it's, they're not competitive in the, in the games that they need to be. Um, I mean, last year they beat, they beat a really bad Mississippi State team by 10. Um, I know it was only year two, but the body of work that was already there with Butch Jones. Butch Jones was not a good head coach, but he had tons of talent. So it wasn't like he got there, you know, on the heels of an NCAA investigation just finishing and they don't have anything. They don't have any scholarships. I mean, they have plenty of scholarships. They, the network in Knoxville is never going to, to lack for sustenance. And I just, I don't know. I just, I don't, I'm not a believer and, and I don't know. They beat Kentucky last year. I guess that's a good win. Kentucky was pretty good last year. Um, but, you know, I, I just – I thought for a minute that I was I was, I was, was like, am I, do I need to worry about Tennessee? And then I saw the bowl game, and that was all I needed to see. I mean, Indiana should have won that game. When you're ceiling, it's third best in your division. There's only so much that can be there. You know what I mean? I mean, I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm being a little funny here, but it's in a lot of ways. It's what it's what gotten Harbaugh the entire times at Michigan. He's been the right. third best team in his division. Well, when that's the case, there's only so much national appeal that's going to come your way. And you mentioned it; it's five thousand and seven days since Tennessee oh. beat Alabama. Well, and look, this October twenty first, two thousand six. God, yeah. I mean, this is an Ole Miss podcast, so we'd be remiss if we didn't talk about how Ole Miss is kind of in the same situation in the West. It, you've got you've got Alabama, you've got Auburn, you got LSU. Those teams are built and programmed and genetically modified, 
you know, figuratively, to be better than you year in, year out. And it's hard to deal with that. It's why for Ole Miss, though, I do think there's a little more logical base within the fan base of, sure, they'd like for you to be nationally competitive and make that run every so often. And Ole Miss has shown that they can do that. They can recruit in a way. They can catch the lightning in the bottle. They can put a run together even for like a 14, 15, maybe 16 if things fell differently or had a different situation with Freeze a little bit there at that point. Um but it's for Ole Miss. It, it's never necessarily about hey, you better win eight of ten against Alabama. It's as we talked about this, and I'm not going to like belabor it. You beat Vanderbilt, you beat State and Arkansas more than you lose to them for sure, and then you wait on somebody else out of that group to suck. And frankly, I still think Ole Miss can be as good as A and M. A and M does not show that they are competitive. Everybody uh, tries to give A and M the benefit of the doubt. I know I'm beating a dead horse here, but. Everybody gives them the benefit of the doubt, the benefit of the doubt, the benefit of the doubt, and go, hey, they've got all the resources, and they do. I don't understand what the deal is. They're in Texas. They've got all this money, all this recruiting area. They don't win. They're eternally mediocre. Chase, you want to talk about not being a believer. Jimbo Fisher might be the, the most successful grifter in the world right now, which is saying something when you've got, you know, people that are in the media right now talking about things, but... Um, him getting that contract and then just being just consistently mediocre year in, year out at Texas A&M is just mind-blowing. How in the world, like you said, recruiting territory, money. I mean, you talk about the, the network in Knoxville. The network in College Station alone probably close to doubles what Knoxville has. And it just just terrible. I mean, yeah, nine wins in year one with a with a bowl game. Then you go eight and five. I mean, is he going to revert and just keep getting worse? Because they recruit well year in year out, but you're not seeing the return on your investment. You know, pardon the pun there on the field. And now you've got this NCAA investigation, so I guess we just got to wait for them to tell their story to to hear them out. But I just I, I don't know. Jimbo was great at Florida State. Won a national title. They won 10-plus games, um, I guess, what, five, six out of his last eight years or something like that. But I don't know. And I and the people there are like, well, A&M, might, maybe it's just a hard job. Like, I, I, don't, I don't know. Well, look, I mean, it, it is a hard job in one way. And now I don't know. Somebody can correct me here on what they've done. I don't, I don't know all the dynamics. But I, I know a little bit of them because of Ross. They've got a little bit of an Alabama before Saban vibe where you're still having to please a lot of people. It's not one voice in the room. I mean, there's a there's a certain country club aspect to A&M that does at least minimize their winning because it's about winning, but it's about a lot of other stuff too and with a lot of people. Um, mm-hmm. It's got a little bit of a of – a, mid-2000s Alabama vibe to me. I mean, they don't have anywhere near that history. They don't have necessarily that type of machine or mechanism in place. But there is a little bit of that where, hey, we need you to win, but we kind of need you to win in these ways with all these people having some opinions. And maybe Jimbo's gotten them out of that. Maybe, I I don't know. I don't know the answer there. But for a long time, that's the way it came across to me. Even when Manziel was there, it was like, well, we can ride this one talent and all this stuff, but we're still kind of the country club that we're trying to figure out what to do here. And it's such a it's such a strange place. I've still never been, but I know tons of people that have, and they all have said the same thing. They're like, it is just a weird place. Yeah, I think that's fair. I mean, the there's a vibe. Um, 
I mean, made a lot of cult jokes, and I mean, it's still funny, but it. <laughs> I mean, I don't know how to explain it. It's just strange. It, it, you do not get that feeling anywhere else where you're just. <laughs> You mean you, you do? You kind of feel like like not in like a not in any type of racist or sexist or anything like that. Like nothing necessarily negative. You just feel like you're in the middle of a rally a little bit. You know what I mean? Like it you just me, like you look around. You it's me like, tell you what there's I think a it's common like. purpose here. I'll tell you what I think it's like. When I was in high school, a friend of mine that played that I played baseball with was like, "Hey, I've been working this summer job the last two years. Um, it's I think it's a really good opportunity. You make a lot of money in the summer." Um, you know, he's like, you're, you're kind of outdoors, but you're not outdoors a lot because I was doing, you know, landscaping, like cutting grass. And, you know, that's brutal in the summer. So he was like, hey, he's like, here, here's the address. We're doing some open interviews. Come and uh, see if you like it. And that was all he said. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I'm like 16 years old. So, of course, I'm not asking questions. You know, hey, what's this all about? Tell me what the company's name. You know, nah, don't need that. I'll show up. So I get there. We get in a room. And there's, you know, 25 people in there. So the guy comes in, starts talking, and uh, he was, you know, some kind of regional sales manager for Cutco. And so about 10 minutes in, I'm like, this feels very weird, and I feel like I'm getting scammed here. And, you know, basically doing the scene from The Office where he's, you know, showing, you know, how the downline works and showing, you know, oh, well, you get this person, this person, and, you know, and just basically showing what a pyramid scheme is. Sure. And it was, I, I literally cannot describe it until just now when we're talking about College Station and Texas A&M, where I was like, I feel like that's exactly what it feels like, where your just skin is just, like, crawling, and you just feel so uneasy. And, you're, and like, I literally just got walked out, and the guy was like, hey, where are you going? And I just didn't even turn around, and I just left, because I was like, this is so uncomfortable, and I feel like something's wrong here. Um, so A&M's, like, the top of the pyramid scheme? In, in, in college football, yeah, yeah, it's kind, of, yeah. I mean, you know, it's like the Always Sunny episode. When, the residual income is just flowing up to them all day, but <laughs> something's a little off. Yeah, when you go to A and M, you are now in uh, their downline. Like that's, I don't know. I just every every single person that I've talked to that's been to Kyle Field or that you know lives in Austin or Dallas and has been to College Station, no Aggie alum, they all say the same thing. They say it's just a, such a weird vibe. So, whatever the vibe is, they can't win football games. So, I don't know how this investigation is going to hamper them because, given the money and the resources, yeah, they have not. They haven't won a title since '39 or something, and who knows if that was even a real one. Um, <laughs> I don't know or care. I mean, I looked at it here. They've won three division titles since they've joined the SEC or the Big Twelve, whenever that was, when the Southwest Conference folded. They lost four games one of those years. They lost three games another year. Um, huh. I mean, they went nine and four in '97 when they won the Big Twelve South or whatever it was. Yeah, I mean, you have the Heisman Trophy winner, and I mean, wh- what did they do the year they had Manziel when they didn't do anything? Huge? One, of, one of the years they played Duke in like a Chick Fil A ball or something. Yeah, like, come on. You got to do better than that. Was it 2012, was, 2013? So, yeah, 13 was Chick fil A Bowl. 2012 was the Cotton Bowl against Oklahoma. They won. Uh, they went to the Liberty Bowl, beat West Virginia. Went to the Music City Bowl, lost to Louisville. And then Texas Bowl, lost to Kansas State. That was what they did under Kevin Sumlin. So, it started out great. Manziel, in, in, in 2012, Manziel, they went 11 and 2, 6 and 2. 
Take a break in the show to tell you about Community Mortgage, located in Oxford, Memphis, Settle County, and Chattanooga, one of the oldest mortgage companies in the Southeast. All underwriting and processing is done in Memphis, so your local underwriting understands your market, leader in condo financing, the float down option, and much more. You can find Jason at 662-234-2704 or J-L-O-W-E at communitymtg.com. Podcast also brought to you by Tyson Drugs and G&M Pharmacy. Tyson's utilizing a walk-up window, and G&M is offering curbside service available there in Oxford. Both stores are open for regular business hours, and they're still dedicated to free local delivery and same-day delivery as well. To find out more, you can give them a call, 662-236-2222. G&M right there on South Lamar in Oxford. And then also, if you're injured, not sure where to go, no matter where you are, Special Orthopedic Group has you covered with three convenient locations in Tupelo, Oxford, New Albany. No referral is needed to schedule an appointment with one of SOG's fellowship-trained subspecialized surgeons at any one of the three locations. 24-hour access to scheduling. SOG makes it easy to accommodate you. Call 767-4200 or request an appointment on their website at www.sogms.com. Special Orthopedic Group. Choose a specialist. Choose SOG. Yeah, so they just, you know, um, so what, I'm trying to remember what game it was when they lost. In Frankly, that, I mean, they were pretty damn good because, I mean, I'll even give them a little bit of pass. I mean, they're, the, the, one of their losses was Florida on opening day in Manziel's first game. Yeah. They lost 17, they lost 20 to 17. Game. But they, I mean, they actually, you know, did the unthinkable and beat Alabama that year. In, um, in Tuscaloosa, twenty nine, twenty four, and it was and it was later in the year too. It wasn't like where Ole Miss, you know, can catch Bama early. Like this was late season. November Alabama's 10. churning, and then who else? I mean, they have good wins. I mean, Missouri was a pretty good team that year, fifty nine, twenty nine. Yeah, I mean, no, they were good. They were really good. They beat the hell out of State. They beat the hell out of Auburn. They beat Auburn sixty three, twenty one that year. So they lost to beat Arkansas huh? fifty-eight. Well, that, to well 10. that was it. They lost to Florida and, and LSU. That was it. LSU. Yeah, twenty. That was the game that they they that was their chance. Yeah. Because I was trying to figure out why they didn't win the West, but yeah, yeah. which was a was a top ten LSU team. So I mean, a really good team that year. Frankly, Ole Miss should have beat them. Oh, I mean, I I've said that the twelve and thirteen, if. A&M doesn't have Manziel. Ole Miss probably wins both of those games by at least Well, even beyond that, I felt like if it was later in the year where Ole Miss felt like they could win a game, they probably win too. Like, that Ole Miss team, they played really hard that night, but that was before they had kind of gotten over the hump. You know what I mean? Like, so there was still mm-hmm. that finding ways to lose that game late, in a way. Those And that, and that 2012 game, and I don't know if you remember this, Chase. You probably do because you were there. That was the weird where Ole Miss played A&M back-to-back at home. Correct, yes. The first two years. Um, those were the types of games where Manziel would pick up a long like third and 11 with his feet, and it's just back-breaking to where you finally got him stopped, you, you you get him in a third and long, and then when he gets that first down, it's just it just crushes you as a defense. He did and it with it, his feet more the next year when they beat Ole Miss 41-38. Um, that year, it was – I mean, the, 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 the sequence that everybody remembers was the, the what they thought was a safety – and then pinned mm-hmm. back there deep, they he threw the big jump ball to Mike Evans, and he just went right over Sinquez's hands. Yeah, he out jumped, and him. that was yeah, it was just you couldn't do anything about it. Um, but yeah, I mean that was you know that's like the the offense that just like the the old Alabama just running the football and just leaning on you for four quarters, 
it's like that same feeling, but with Manziel running around and just, you know, poor Bird Bryant was having to spy him that night and just, Lord help him. It was just, you know, not the easiest thing to do. But yeah, you know, when in doubt, just throw it up to Mike Evans. That usually worked. So a lot of talk about how we're getting pretty close to decision making in some way. We're in July. We're through the holiday now. It's July 6th. Um, they've said media days will be Zoom or online or digital or whatever the word is that they use. Don't know dates on that yet. Sankey's talked about having to make a decision here in the next couple weeks or so. We had Keith Carter on the podcast a couple weeks ago. He said that all options are on the table. However, it is kind of time to get moving a little bit. There's been a little bit of a renewed emphasis in the last five or six days on the potential for moving this thing to the spring. You saw that some high school associations have either delayed starts or talked about spring. The Ivy League has moved to the spring. Am I crazy? I think even a shortened, halted, or some type of abbreviated season in the fall is exponentially better than trying to make anything work in the spring, even if it's a full schedule, because, frankly, they need TV money now, not later, um, with all the budgets going on. I mean, Ole Miss cuts, what, 7% across the board from an operating budget uh, standpoint with an athletic department. Also, you do it in the spring, anybody that's at all combine or draft-related is going to skip that season to prepare for the draft because the NFL has, has given no hints at all that they would be willing to move that draft or even have the ability to move the draft, especially if they play in the fall. Um, you've got a quick turnaround to the fall of 2021 from a body recovery standpoint. You're trying to figure out all these other things, too. I just I, I can't make this logically make sense in my head whatsoever. I think you're better off playing even if you have to stop early versus trying to put this thing off in the spring. I don't understand why do they have to have, have a decision made right now. Well, I mean, if you're going to play or not play, we are getting fairly close. I mean, you got to kind of know that. Especially what, well, what, what if there's a what if there's a contingency where you go and I'm, I'm look I'm not reporting I know nothing I'm just talking here. What if they say hey the SEC is going to play but they're just going to play themselves for ten games? Well, I mean that can't wait till August 18th to try to put in place. Well, my thing is if you're going to look at somewhat of an abbreviated uh, schedule or a delayed start, I don't think you need to make a decision in you know the week of July 6. I think you've got time. No, at I'm least, expecting it mid- the 15th to the 20th is what I'm thinking. Okay. I just think that they need to delay it anyway and wait until after Labor Day, at least a week after Labor Day or so. Um, You're saying and, go ahead and postpone the season now. Or no, just just push it back. Well, yeah, same difference. Yeah, yeah. So I just don't think you need to – like. I think it was Lincoln Riley that said it, I guess, probably a couple months ago when everybody was freaking out and running around trying to figure out what they want to do. And he was like, we we're, we're, there's no rush. Just wait. Like, as, and I think that that applies to college football, just like it applies to everyday life where you had a lot of States rushing to get to that phase three. And then you had some spikes come up in like Florida and Texas. And then now everybody's back to, you know, phase two. And so I think that, you know, just like people need to have patience for getting back out and getting back to normal and everything opening up 100%. I think the same thing with college football to where they could wait and, and decide here mid to late July and still be able to, I think, fully prepare for a season. That's just my thought process. I mean, I know that a lot of colleges are still planning on having in-person classes, whether that's, you know, 
two or three days a week or one day a week. Um, I think that there, there's a path to having college football. And I still think they're going to have a season in some capacity. Like you said, there's TV money out there that they have to have. Well, um, and, and academically, the schools are doing that for a couple different reasons. They're doing that because, A, you want to proceed as normal until there's a, a ruling that you're not proceeding as normal, if that makes sense. B, there's an economic part of this, too, that is impossible to ignore, where they go, hey, if we said we were going online or if we go online, we're not getting the same attendance. We're not getting the same enrollment. We're not getting the same amount of money. So anything to get the kids on campus for any period of time is somewhat of an economic decision that is associated with that. Now, you know, you run into a lot of problems on what about the faculty member that's 65 years old and has some other comorbidities and different things like that. I mean, I saw a story this morning where – a ton of Georgia Tech faculty are annoyed because they um, the the guidelines and rules that have been put in place without really their opinion or whatsoever. But yeah, I guess my point is academically, I'm not surprised at all. I expected them to alter the schedule, but proceed to some degree of normal, and they've done that, saying that they're planning to start on time and just be done when Thanksgiving gets here and nobody comes back after Thanksgiving. That's been kind of the standard thing, uh, mm-hmm. at least in the southeast, but frankly, a lot nationally as well. Well, let me ask you this. I, I, you did mention the Ivy League, and you know, I, my, you know, Anna, my wife, she works in higher education, so we talk about this quite a bit. And I asked her this. I threw it as like a, as a, you know, question. The Ivy League, they kind of operate on their own. They, you know, the whole Ivy League, like the the football programs. I mean, they they'll play some out of conference games, but for the most part, they play ten games. And that's it. And they essentially play each other and they play for their own title. They play, you know, kind of their own little round robin schedule, if you will. If they're switching to the spring, do you think that that really impacts the power five? Um, directly, no. I mean, does it, does it give, here's what it does in my opinion. Does it change thought processes? No, I, I don't think in the slightest. Cause like you said, they, they kind of operate in their own timetable by themselves. I think it would provide cover if that's the way they were leaning and think it's best practice, but they're worried about the fallout of such. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think if you're already in that direction, then yeah, it gives an extra layer of security. But I do not think it's changing anyone's mind at all. Um, I, I just don't. And, and look, from a fall standpoint, I'm not sure this doesn't come down to anything more than can we put people in the stands, and if so, how many, and what does that look like? Yeah. I mean, I, it's just to me that's the Do way you, I feel about it. Right. Well, another thing that's that makes the Ivy League such a such a different conversation. They're they're not even coming close. Not even this this thought does not even enter anyone's mind up there about money. I just just do a Wikipedia search and look at the endowments for all of those schools. They're they're going to be doing just fine. They don't need. It is, it, it is barely more, and frankly, from a way the recruiting stuff works, maybe even less, it would be like saying, hey, high schools are moving to the spring. Is that impacting the SEC? <laughs> yeah. I mean, um, it, it's not completely different. Right. Um, but I'll say this. I, I do think that um, as far as decision-making goes, you mentioned you know, what are the crowds going to look like. And uh, look, there are, pro, there are pro sports right now that are excelling with no fans. And like I said, you know, a minute ago, I, I fully expect them to have college football in some capacity, whether that's starting on time, whether that's starting after Labor Day, 
or whether that's just an eight game conference schedule that starts, you know, in October or whatever. Um, do you think that they'll get to that point where they're just like, we have to have a season, but we can't have fans? Well, I mean, Keith Carter on our show talked about it, and it was the one thing that I took from everything that he said that day was they're better off with zero fans than 25% fans because of all the expenses and security <laughs> and things that would go with having right. any fans at all that monetarily they're actually better off with no fans whatsoever. That that 50% seems to be that that magical number where they feel okay about things or at least they can operate in some semblance of normalcy at that point, but then you're bringing in the whole point, too, of, hey, how do you figure that out? And I mean, I know we've talked about this ad nauseum, but who's deciding what the, what 50% get in, what 50% isn't? How exactly are you refunding everything? I know, I know they've said they'll do refunds, but is that complete CGAs? Is that just ticket costs? Do you lose priority? You know what I mean? There's so many different mm-hmm. elements of this that, you know, they're just trying to avoid right now. Um, we know that tailgating is very unlikely. Um, especially like from a grove or a tent situation. I don't know what they might do for parking spots and things along that line. Um, but this no, could, you uh, you yeah. mentioned the grove, uh, Chase, and I'll I'll throw this at you. Do you think this could potentially be a way for them to slowly creep into the pay for spot? Yeah, type thing. I do. If if they want to do that, I do. I think it provides Cause an opening because you could easily mark off spaces six to eight feet away to keep social distancing. Uh, yeah, you that thing. Yeah, yeah. So I, that, yeah. If you if you really want to risk it and you want to come out here and you want to be in the grove or be in the circle, you know, pay us. I, um, now look though, honestly, I don't expect that this year. I, I do not expect the grove to be open in any capacity this year. Just my opinion. Somewhat educated, somewhat uneducated. I I do not think there will be any tailgating in the grove this year. It's gonna be a weird fall if that's the case. Yeah, that's what I think. I mean, now, but here's the thing. Like I said, does that translate over to, okay, I've got a parking spot on the fifth floor of the garage. I can't put a table or put some bread and some ham on the back of my tailgate. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, how are we are, are, are we making it a no loitering area or a no tailgating area? Like, how does that work? What does that look like? I don't know the answer there. I mean, thank God or, I'm the person to figure that out. I mentioned, you know, moving into, you know, pay for pay for tailgate. What if they just revert back to the old school days and everybody just pulls their car up on the Grove and then you just sit in the I asked car. Keith that. Okay. He did not seem likely that that would be the case. Yeah, he was he was, <laughs> he was was not happy. He said the landscaping would probably be an issue there um, for just like right. the, the old Billy Brewer days of just bringing your car in, setting it up, and having a having a little bit of a party there in the uh, in the Grove. <laughs> I mean, look, they just – it's got to be safe, but they got to play the games. Yeah. TV money is what is going to dictate whether – these schools have huge budget issues or not. Right. I think if I think if you ask people, truth serum or not, would you rather be able to tailgate in the Grove or would you rather have football oh, yeah. and have it safe? I think all jokes aside with, you know, oh, nobody leaves the Grove, nobody goes to the games. If it comes to – at the end of the day, people are going to like, look, just, just have football because you can sit at home and watch it and it's fine. Yes, the honest, it's the honesty thing. Come out and go, hey, guys, we cannot allow tailgating for a thousand different reasons. We're going to be safe, but you're going to get your football. We're going to play the games. We're going to do the best we yeah. can, and we're going we're gonna to hope we're going to finish the season, but we're going to report to practice, and we're going to start the season, and we're going to see where it goes. And the only way to know how – I mean, this is what's scary, and it's where I get it. I understand because, look, are, are a lot of the players in danger of being incredibly sick? No, they're not. But we have adults. We have – Coaches, 
hit my mic. We have coaches, coordinators, different people who potentially have other health issues. We have older people. I mean, you got to really be careful how you put them in the same rooms together, how you spend a ton of time together indoors. All that stuff is real. But from a football standpoint, we're not going to know how this thing interacts on a football field until we play football. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like you got to put a ball there, you got to put some pads on and see what happens. And that, and, and that's scary in a way. I, I'm not saying that's an easy decision. But walkthroughs without a ball, 30 minutes in shorts where you're spread out, that's not simulating how this virus or anything else interacts from a football standpoint. There's right. going to be a certain of unknown until we actually start playing football and see what it looks like. I'll tell you a, a on a somewhat smaller scale or a sample size. I would be interested to see if there are any uh, any uh, positive tests or any spikes or cases or what have you with um, this past week's Elite 11 because I was in attendance. I was sitting up in the bleachers. Media was kept in the bleachers. We couldn't go on the field. So I'm up there by the press box well away from everybody. But the players are all out there, no masks. They're out there throwing footballs, all the same footballs. They're all touching the same footballs. They're sweating. They're out there high-fiving, chest-bumping, all that. Um, you know, clearly, I'm not wishing for it to happen, but I'll be interested to see. You know, That's kind of a simulated football environment down there, running routes, being around people, um, all of that. So like you said, you're not simulating a real you know, football atmosphere with a walkthrough, but the Elite 11 was was pretty close without having pads on. Do domes act like indoor areas, or are they ventilated and filtered and large enough to act more like an outdoor area? Do we know the answer to that? Uh, I Yeah, I don't. I'm just logis- wondering off the top Logistically of can't even pretend to understand, but yeah, I mean, if you have an indoor facility, do you open all the doors? Do you? I mean, I don't know how you know, you crank up the the unit, and do you have like a filtration? It's more about the filtration, actually. The yeah, the the, the venting system could be a positive or a negative depending on how it's filtered. Um, I know we made a big stink, or not? We didn't make a big stink. There was a big stink about Alabama with Apple watches and things. Do you expect more <laughs> monitoring where the college football world all starts wearing whoops like the PGA Tour and we start measuring respiratory rates every morning to try to catch stuff early because, you know, let's be honest, I mean, Keith told us and a lot of other schools are like this too, they're not doing mile marker testing. It's not like the PGA Tour where they test you before and after every tournament and you move through and they're really looking. I mean, in a lot of ways, you're only getting tested at this point once you have symptoms or if there's a contact trace situation going on. I don't feel like the, the on the college game they're going to put in a lot of extra monitoring as far as like really trying to catch early detection. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it's a cost prohibitive thing where it's not possible. But I don't see some move to the college level like is going on with the PGA Tour. And I think the NBA is using whoever Whoop's competitor is um, for 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 their players. I, I don't anticipate that. It would be nice, not even just for COVID, but just in general to have to, that type of data. Yeah, to have that to you know, monitor your players regardless whether there's a pandemic or not. Um, but you know, now more, more programs are very, very, you know, high quality nutrition and, um, safety precaution. I mean, a lot of those, uh, I know Alabama was kind of the, they were the first to kind of do it, or maybe they were just the first that, uh, got publicity from it. But, you know, most, most, I'm pretty sure all SEC programs do it, but most, power five programs um you are 
before every workout, every practice, you're weighed and you go out, you practice. And when you come back in, uh, they take your weight again and then they give you the fluids to basically replenish and just replace everything that you just lost out there on the field. I know they do that definitely in two days and, and spring and summer workouts, but you know, that and everything's just so calculated now with what, what they put in their body, um, when they're on campus, when they're, you know, in the facility. But yeah, I mean, that would be ideal for the whoop to just kind of be a thing that everybody has just to measure, you know, like you said, respiratory, um, monitoring that, especially with, with COVID is, is pretty much paramount right now, but yeah, it'd be nice to, to have that kind of information on hand. Reading here, pretty big news kind of on this topic. Uh, it's the first, and now look, they have enough money, as you mentioned a second ago, to do this. Harvard has just announced that uh, s- some students will live on campus. However, quote, all course instruction for the 2021 academic year will be online mm. at Harvard. Um, that just came out. Again, most schools cannot afford that. Uh also, this even may be bigger. It says, uh, in recognition of the fact that many of the students will not have a residential campus experience this year, all enrolled undergraduate students who will be learning away from campus for the full academic year 2021 will be eligible to come to campus to take two courses at the Harvard Summer School in the summer of 2021 under an arrangement that waives tuition, room, and board. So they're giving two wow. free summer school classes to every uh, <clears throat> every student for next summer. At uh, wow. at Harvard, and again, again, the Ivy League works on its own situation all the way around. It's that 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 is not that is not a tea leaf per se, or at least guaranteed mm-hmm. through the rest of the, the the college environment. But it's um it's noteworthy. There's no doubt about that. So, the Oxford Exxon podcast also brought to you by the Iron Horse Grill. Iron Horse Grill located at 320 East Pearl Street in Jackson. Live music four times per week. The perfect place to enjoy lunch, dinner, or Sunday brunch. It's also one of the largest beverage caterers in Mississippi. It can service the entire state. So call Sarah Black at 601-398-0151 for your catering needs. Knock that off your worry list. Let the Iron Horse Grill make your event one that is memorable forever. Dead Soxy discounts are back. While some prices may have risen on the website, the MPW Digital Network podcast and Rebel Grove subscribers will always have access to the best Dead Soxy discounts available. So use promo code REBELGROVE at checkout. Get 30% off the best dress socks you'll ever put on. If you were on the fence about getting your kids a pair of the limited edition socks, use promo code REBELGROVE. Get a pair for you and your child. They'll love them. You will too for under 5 bucks. De- shutdown deals with a promo code combination are available in select styles. So go to deadsoxy.com and make your day a Soxy one. Our friends from Blue Delta Jeans are excited to announce that on October the 16th, the Friday before the Florida game, Blue Delta Jeans will be hosting the second annual Delta Cup Golf Tournament. Oxford Exxon listeners may remember that last year's Delta Cup was taken home by Chase Parham and company, so this year's Delta Cup will be your opportunity to challenge the reigning victors. Tea time will be at 10 a.m. at Mossy Oak Golf Club, and your registration fee will include green and cart fees, food and drinks on the course, as well as a pair of a new pair of blue Delta jeans. Prizes will be up for grabs for hole-in-ones, closest to the pin, and longest drive. The field's going to be limited to 18 teams, so don't wait. Email Tyler, that's T-Y-L-E-R, at bluedeltajeans.com to reserve your spot, and they'll see you on the course. We have a amount of my money up. Uh, 
from taped earlier this week with Romero Miller. That is brought to you by Pinnacle Trust, Pinnacle Trust based in Madison, Mississippi. They've got clients in more than 20 states, advisors in multiple states as well. Founded in 1997, Pinnacle Trust provides detailed, specialized investment management, financial planning, retirement planning for individuals and businesses, and much more. They treat investing like a commodity. Decisions are made using objective information and research, not emotions. So regardless of your level of wealth, Pinnacle Trust will sit down with you, listen to your goals, study your expenses, and put forth a comprehensive, detailed financial and retirement plan built just for you at Pinnacle Trust. Uh, they go the extra mile just for you, and all you got to do is tell them that you heard about Pinnacle Trust on the podcast. You'll get 10% off your first year's fees. We're also brought to you by John Edwards of Regency Travel Incorporated in Memphis. Thinking about getting away after four months of uh, lockdown, pandemic lockdown, John knows where all the deals are. He knows what's open, what's kind of open, what's closed. He knows... Uh, all of that because he's part of Virtuoso. It's a worldwide network of travel partners that allows John to supply his clients with added values, unique benefits, simply not available to other travelers. Get in touch with him, give him some parameters, give him a budget, and he will give you options you can't find on your own, and you don't have to live in or near Memphis to take advantage of his services. 901-494-3387 or send him an email, Edwards at regencytravel.net. First-time clients, can save $50 off their first book trip just by telling John you heard about Regency Travel on the podcast. We're also brought to you by Grenada Nissan. If you're in the market for a Nissan vehicle, Grenada Nissan's the place to go. They've got a complete selection of new and previously owned Nissan vehicles. Great lease deals as well. It's just off Interstate 55 in Grenada, GrenadaNissanUSA.com. And we're brought to you by Oxford University Bank. OUB, locally owned and operated right here in Oxford. When you deposit money at OUB, that money and the vast majority of the bank's profits go right back into the Oxford community. OUB offers its customers the absolute best cash checking account. It's called Casasa, and with Casasa, OUB will pay customers 2.5% interest on their balances, up to $50,000, and refund ATM fees nationwide. To learn more about OUB, check out liveoxfordbankoxford.com or call 662 634-6668. OUB is FDIC insured. And we're brought to you by Bluff City Advisory Group, dedicated to building the future you desire. Founded in Memphis in 2019, their team is comprised of established and seasoned financial experts who came together to serve individuals and families of their beloved hometown. You can get in touch with them at 901-365-3447 or email ben, B-E-N, at bluffcityadvisory.com. And we're brought to you by the law firm of Bain, Moss, and Bowen, PLLC, located in historic downtown Corinth. Their firm practices a wider range of law, from DUI defense to car wrecks to representing government entities. It's the only firm in Mississippi made up of a sitting state legislator, a former assistant district attorney, and a former circuit judge. Their experience is unmatched, and you can tap into that experience by seeing them at 618 East Walden Street in Tupelo or by calling them at 662 287 1620. They can. Here's what gets me. And sorry not to cut you off. Okay. I mean, Harvard's a pretty liberal arts school. I don't understand. There are certain classes that can simply not be taught adequately online. It's not possible. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I mean, there's certain lab based or certain, I mean, language based classes that just online takes away so much interaction, so much learning, so much teeth. I just, if I was a parent, I don't think I could, in good faith, send my kid for that. I think I would take a gap year. 
I just yeah. don't think the education in, in, in any way, and when I say education, I don't necessarily mean academic instruction. I mean socialization. I mean everything. To me, there's just so many classes where it's not up to par, and it's putting the faculty in a really weird burden in that way. Yeah, I yeah, I I 100% agree there. There are certain, you know, you have your, you know, your English 101s and stuff like that. You can do that online. Um, math, you can do that online. But yeah, when you get into those 300, 400 level courses, um, it's it sounds cliche, but the professors and how they teach and how they reach the students is is vital to people's, you know, to the student's success and how much they part of this is, is keeping the faculty though. I mean, honestly, I wonder if some of this move is to protect the faculty because they're not having to teach two different ways. If 40% of mm-hmm. the school, which I think is what can live on campus, is taking the classes and 60% of online, you have a nightmare from a faculty and staff standpoint on how to teach those at all the same from, 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 from each area. That's, that's twice as work and probably even a little more than that. It's probably kind of exponential in a way. Um, yeah. Also, some news here is convenient for these teams. Uh, the NCAA postseason bans for Missouri baseball and Missouri softball only applied to 2020. So now they're eligible in 2021, since, even though we did not have a season. Oh. Huh. Yeah. So, whatever. I mean, Interesting. I don't think Missouri's um, going to win the national title, so it's not going to matter. But, um, <laughs> just saying. Uh, so, I was going to tell you the, the numbers here. Uh, this is from 2018, but I would hazard a guess that it's probably pretty close the same today. Sure. Uh, top 10 endowments in the country. One, two, three, four, five of those are Ivy League. Um, five of the top 10. Yeah, Harvard at 39 billion. Yale, Princeton. Yale at 29. Princeton, 25. Penn, 13. Dartmouth? Uh, Columbia at, oh. at almost 11. Okay. Um, the non Ivy League schools in there mm-hmm. Notre Dame, Michigan, AM, MIT, and Stanford. What is MIT's endowment? It is, it's only 16.4 billion. Oh, well. They're better. I'm not sure they pay the yeah. white belt more. <laughs> so the Power Five schools, um, Michigan, Notre Dame are it. It's Stanford at oh, 26. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Notre Dame is 11. Michigan, 11.7, and uh, A&M is at 12.6. By the way, the Ivy League's football decision uh, sounds like it's going to come on Wednesday. They have not officially said anything yet. Okay. Reading here from the Athletic this morning said it's expected on Wednesday. Yeah. Uh, also, golf related, they are announcing that the memorial um, in Ohio will be played without fans, so they are keeping their uh, current schedule in place with no fans in attendance for PGA Tour events. Yeah. Not might uh, as well. N- not shocked at all. No. Um. I was gonna say. Uh, Rutgers gonna... has said um, no campus events at all. Extremely limited on campus housing. Instruction will be remote this fall, or most instruction will be this fall. However, Rutgers athletics to be determined by state guidelines in the Big Ten. Hmm. So they're not connecting it to athletics at all. Interesting. Wonder why you, today you is the, the, you mentioned the, golf the, the day we're starting to get Ch- some of this. Yeah, you mentioned golf, Chase. I I'll ask the question that I think all of our listeners want to hear. Sure. Um, when do you think Tiger? When do you think he comes back, if at all? Um, I thought he would have come back from the memorial. 
He, he, yeah, he, he plays that. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think I never thought he was going to play in any of these run-ups. Maybe one yeah. just because to whatever. But I mean, he, here's the deal: he's he wants one more tour win for sure. But at the end of the day, all he's doing is getting ready for majors. It, it's whatever can have him in the best shape for four times a year, and that's that, that's all that matters. That's it. Well, well, I thought because uh, I had a a friend and I were discussing this and. Um, I was like, well, I think it would be either the 3M in Minnesota or the PGA, which is obviously a major. But I said the 3M just because the purse is so big. Um, and then, like you said, he's not going to play in any of these smaller ones. Now, Memorial is 9.3. Um, so that's certainly out there. But the 3M Open in the at TPC Twin Cities is 6.6. Um, but, you know, these these smaller ones where... Um, and I, and 3M as well, because I feel like that course plays pretty well to his strengths, but you know, a lot of these other ones, he's not going to want to compete in these just cause either he doesn't like the way the course layout is. And then also, like you said, he's just going to, he just wants to, you know, get one or two more wins, preferably majors, and then just call it a career. I think. Yeah. I, I expect him to see him at the Memorial cause it's Jack's tournament. That's it. Yeah. He always plays in it. He's won it. I, I just think he's going to play in that tournament because of that reason. I, I just do. I, I think there's certain tournaments where, barring an injury or something that really shows why he shouldn't be playing, he's going to play in those tournaments. Bay Hill, Memorial, that kind of thing, where it just is yeah. what it is. Um, he's To me, he's more likely to skip a World Golf Championship event, for sure, before he would skip the Memorial, as long as he's in health. Because the is Memorial this, is, is this July the year 16th. that he finally plays the St. Jude, Chase? Um... No, I don't think so. Um, well, I'm looking at the schedule here. So, I think he's going to play the Memorial. That's July 16th. I don't think he plays the work day this week. He's already said no, right? Yeah, he did. He was not on that list. So, right, yeah. even though it's at Muirfield, same course as Memorial, I think he plays Memorial next week. If, if this has already been announced somewhere, apologies, I haven't seen it. Um, I don't think he goes to Minnesota. So, he would play the Open, or sorry, he would play the Memorial, take a week off, not go to Minnesota. I don't see any way he goes to Minnesota. And then makes a decision on the World Golf Championship that is then the week before the PGA Championship. And that's why I think no, because he's not going to get into that heat, deal with that for two weeks in a row, and then try to play for, uh, for the PGA Championship. I think he will play the Memorial, and then we won't see him again for a couple weeks before the, uh, the Harding Park event. Yeah, because that's not until <clears throat> first week of August. August sixth. It's the week think, after. Yeah, and we and I have no idea of knowing either. Do you? Nobody does outside of Tiger. How the the match? You know how how did his body hold up after that? Because he looked phenomenal. He didn't miss a single shot. But you know, for all we know, he could have gotten home and been in a you know been in an ice bath for two days. Um, because I I just you know his knees, his back, his is starting to wear on him a lot. And I think for him, like his competitive edge, it's hard for him not to try to, to go long with these guys now. And, you know, his iron play is so good. So if of course lends to his iron play and being able to, to really shape shots and to, you know, cut corners without having to, you know, boom one, whatever Bryson did, what three sixty four. Here's um, the, here's the bigger question for tiger is does he play all three playoff events? Because he's going to play the PGA Championship August 6th through 9th. 
um, if he played all three playoff events, which I don't think he will, I think he skips the first one for sure, he would be playing the 6th through the ninth, the 20th through the 23rd, the 27th through the 30th, the 4th through the 7th, and then only have one week off before the U.S. Open, and then you have to play two weeks in a row again because of the Ryder Cup. Oh, no, it was moved, though. Sorry, there is no. Never mind. Um, but, yeah, that's the thing. Like, I just don't know that he plays that many weeks in a row. I think he skips at least one playoff event. So, so yeah, so you're saying PGA, Wyndham. Well, he won't play the Wyndham. So that's the 13th or the 16th? Yeah, Are you he's talking not July? playing the Wyndham. No, August. For August. Okay, so the PGA's the 6th through the ninth. Yeah, he'll play that. And then I think then, we don't see him again until probably the August 27th through 30th for the BMW. Yeah, I think he Olympia skips even Fields. the North. I, I think he even skips the Northern Trust. Okay, because I was going to say that's in yeah. Boston, 9.5 purse. That's just too many weeks in a row, like you said. I, I don't think he can do that. And then no. the Tour Championships at Eastlake in September. I think he's much more worried about tournament relationships and tournament names than purses. I just I, I don't think that has any bearing on him whatsoever. Um yeah. At this uh, at this point. So, yeah. I, I think that's when we see Tiger. And then, obviously, he'll be at Wingfoot for the U.S. Open um, when it's when it's played. Whatever, yeah. that, uh, whatever that number is. If you're curious, uh, this past weekend, Bryson's um, average measured driving distance mm-hmm. was th- 350.6. In 2005, Tiger at the Open was 341.5. So... I know it's it's fun to see Bryson out there just looking like a huge meat stick and hitting the ball really far, but Tiger was doing it in 2005. So Everybody's missing the boat on Bryson a little bit. Sure, he's hitting it farther than anyone else else is hitting it right now. He's hitting it straight. Yeah, given, that's why g- given his were- length, he's not crazy offline. To me, that is the bigger story is that he hasn't just added distance. He's added incredible accuracy right now through these events. Mm-hmm. Yeah, fault. Uh, Nick Faldo was talking about that on Saturday, just talking about how just the the strength and the distance is is eye popping. But yeah, he's just been so accurate. Like it hasn't just been just you know, you know, Bryson hit ball far. You know, he's had some some strategy to it, and he's taken some lines and you know, cutting corners. You know, strategically, it's not just him just mashing the ball as far as he can. So that's. That's been impressive to watch, but it's the most impressive thing, Chase, is all you got to do is just get you a Smith machine in your garage and just do some tricep pull-downs, and you're going to look like Bryson. Well, That's what eat, we learned from his montage. And eat 28 protein shakes a day. Drink 28 protein shakes Yeah, how in the world does he not just throw up the whole time he's out there playing? I find him very interesting. I don't know that I'm pulling for him. I don't know that I'm pulling against him. I am. Golf is doing the same thing all sports do, though. We always want intrigue and a villain. You get one, so shut up and enjoy it. Quit. I mean, it's the equivalent of the thing going, hey, nobody ever says anything, and then somebody says something, and we take them completely out of context. Well, you're shutting them up. Yeah. Enjoy that that we do have Patrick Reeds and Bryson DeChambeau's and crazy people out there. That's what I was going to say was, you know, Patrick Reed, everybody hates him, you know, for good reason. You know, not the most honest golf player, but it's nice to have a villain to to hate to watch on Sunday in the final pairing. Yeah, not everybody it's can nice be Webb to... Simpson. Like, it's, you know, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I... frustrating, really, really frustrating. 
So yeah, I, it was. It's it's fun though. I think it, for the the average golf watcher or someone who doesn't watch golf a lot, it, it gives you something to kind of like. Oh, that's that's interesting. That's fun to see. And I do think he's doing this for a, in his mind, finite amount of years and probably knows he might hurt himself, but it's just trying to maximize things until that point. I, I think he understands that this probably really hurts his longevity unless there's a different change in a different direction, but I just don't think he cares. I don't think that's the point for him. Yeah, I don't, so. yeah, I don't think he cares either. I think it's just a matter of he wants to win now type deal. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, still a few weeks away from baseball. We're seeing a lot of different things about getting tests back, whether they have the right amount of PPE, um, some players opting out. I'm seeing more of that even this morning. People saying that they are not playing. Nick Markakis, one of them for the Braves. Um, David Price announced it for uh, for the Dodgers as uh, as well. But we're, uh, I guess, two and a half weeks. July 23rd, 24th are the baseball uh, return dates, or at least what, we, what they have planned currently for the re- return dates. Um, of there, so we'll keep following that. I mean, that's that's the next big one to watch. You, you've got the NBA mm-hmm. thing. I think baseball is more relevant just because they're not all in one bubble the way the NBA is. Um, so I think baseball is probably a better gauge. Although I'm not sure, I'm not sure that's overly representative either. But um, mm-hmm. it, it it is as much as anything. So I don't know. We'll see. Uh, so so last last thing, Chase. Unless sure. you got anything else, yeah. what did you what did you think of uh, Maker Maker committing to Howard? Are you familiar with Maker? Uh, enough, yeah. Okay. Um, enough. Now, still, still remains to be seen if he actually makes it to college and plays. But well, that, that, okay, that's what I was going with. The next thing: what are the odds that he will mm-hmm. actually suit up in a uniform for Howard University? So as of now. Unless I missed it, he is only committed. He is not signed. Okay. Um, I guess that's my point. Is, 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 is this 100% a symbolic gesture, or is there a possibility of him actually strapping it up with him? I think it seems pretty genuine. He, uh, you know, per his, you know, his tweet, his announcement, he, he, it seemed to be a big, a big thing to him to choose an HBCU. And sure. Yeah, he, yeah. uh, he tweeted at, uh, Mikey Williams, who's a uh, going to be a five-star number one player in the country, who just finished his freshman year. He's basically just a viral sensation on the internet because he's just crazy good. Um, tweeted at him like, "Hey, I'm I'm paving the way for you to do it." Because there's been a lot of top-rated prospects in football and basketball that have hinted at, you know, "Hey, what if we started this whole going to HBCU movement?" Um, I will be interested. I mean, Kenny Blakeney's the coach at Howard, so obviously did a fantastic job recruiting maker um you know the notable offers he's from arizona so he had offers from oregon ucla and southern cal i think people thought he would either stay west coast or just go straight to the g league but um i don't know i would love to see him in college uh he's a if you're not familiar with his game he he's kind of a more guard centric Giannis to me um i mean he's seven feet 230 pounds and handles the ball it's it looks he literally looks like a creative player um so i would like to <clears throat> see him play one year and then go pro just to kind of see him in a college uniform would be fun plus howard's uh <clears throat> their non-conference schedule is uh is pretty fun I, i'd have to try to find it real quick but they play some some power five teams if he were to suit up um that would be a, a lot of fun you know 
prime no, I, time. I, I think it's cool. I think it's fine. I, I just that, that was my question because I don't follow basketball recruiting, as you know. It was it was right. hey, is this re-, like when I say real? Like, yeah, I, I'm sure he he chose them for a reason. Like you said, it's to potentially pave ways. It's because he likes them and they did a good job recruiting him. I mean, it wasn't a flippant decision. I don't mean it that way. I guess is it is it one of those deals where it's like, oh wow, this is really a thing, or is this kind of like when that. Bryce Harper type baseball prospect commits to Rice or wherever, and you go, okay, great, but sure, have I mean, fantastic, you know what yeah. I mean? Like, right? That's what I kind of what I compare these things to from like college baseball standpoint is, hey, what what's what's really going to happen here? So. Yeah, I, I maybe he's fielding some conversations with the G League to see what kind of money he can get. I don't know. Um, I did find the schedule here, Chase. So mm-hmm. Howard will play Villanova, NC State. Notre Dame, okay. Harvard, and Penn uh, this year. Those are their not their notable non-conference games. So, some good prime time there. Um, speaking of uh, basketball recruiting, I'm sure uh, Jeffrey's breathing a sigh of relief because it does look like Musa Cisse is going to commit to Memphis sometime soon. How long are we giving this for it completely falls apart? <laughs> Uh, man, I don't know. I feel like the writing was on the wall when Mike Miller chunked up the deuces there. and, and Yeah, that felt uh, like it had something bigger to it, didn't it? Yeah. It wasn't just, hey, I'm family time. <laughs> Sounds good. Yeah, gonna, every g- time g- somebody g- going to chill with the wife me, and kids today. Yeah. Um, they're like, what do you think it means? Like, what? I was like, what do you think? Like, come on. Um. Yeah, I mean, it, things started turning over the weekend with, with Cissé. I think everybody thought he was going to go to LSU, and then he kept delaying his announcement, and I think that, that was a good sign for Memphis. And I think Penny's going all in. You know, he had James Wiseman and then, you know, only played a handful of games and then was gone. So I guess he's trying to do it again with Cissé. So um, either way, it, a, hell of a, a hell of a prospect and a good good pickup for them if they, if they do get him. But... Um, Memphis getting him will give Jeffrey at least four months of things to talk about on the radio. Oh, every bit of it. It'll turn into that, just, that'll all. That'll be all they want to talk about. Kind of coming full circle here. Um, I'm seeing where Nicole Arbach and uh, Bruce Feldman had a conversation about does the Ivy League's decision change things for uh, major college football? It's on the Athletic. Tim Brando responds and says it's still a last resort. It's on the table, yes, but the very last resort, and frankly, as much as I respect you two, in the end, I don't for now believe their decision carries the influence with the Autonomous Five. It's been quite a while since the Ivy had that kind of cachet. Bruce, which is the more relevant part of this, said, I thought that, too, that since the Ivy League is non-revenue and doesn't participate in postseason, but then I started talking to people inside college athletics late last week and learned that some in leadership are paying close attention to their thought process and intel. I think it comes back to what I said. I don't, I don't think it's some direct line. But if there are some administrators that go, hey, in the spring, we just really, this seems better, I think that uh, that's what you would see was they could use that for cover, for reasoning to the to, to, to have that decision. So I really do. Um, also, here's the problem, too. Though. Do you move everything to the spring? I mean, are you potentially just losing volleyball and soccer and some of those things? I don't know. So just questions. I don't have the answer. That's, that's a good question because <clears throat> I don't know the Because, look, if football is not played, those, those are not being played. Right. I mean, if yeah. football is not being played in the fall, they're not playing volleyball or soccer or golf at that point. Right. That's You and Neil have said that for months now. Yeah. That's it's like just, it's the just, key it's, is football. Yeah. Football makes everything go. And, I mean, frankly, I'm still worried about basketball even more than football, even though football is the one we've got to have happen. So, yeah. 
we'll see. Uh, coming to you the rest of the week, we'll have podcasts. Zach and I will be back together on Wednesday with something a little different. We're gonna we're we're, we're gonna go down memory lane a little bit. We're gonna do that in detail. So we'll uh, we'll have more with you here uh, here soon. Appreciate you listening today, and we'll talk to you again tomorrow.